Sunday nights are different, I know, and, and tonight I want to go back in history and talk about something. There's, there's one meal that I'm usually the only one at our house that makes it, and uh, not that I'm the only one that makes it, but I only make this particular meal usually, and it's kind of my claim to fame with our granddaughters. But on many mornings, or not many, but every now and then, we should say now used to, I've done it all the time, but there's a breakfast that I make, and when it's really a special occasion, Mother's Day or my wife's birthday or something, all the time I get up and make French toast with those Hawaiian bun things, you know, they're sweet Hawaiian king, king Mandarin or whatever, whatever the king Hawaiian, whatever. Thank you. That's whatever you just said. Eat your own, all right? And, uh, and I'll make French toast for my wife because she really loves it. I'll do that. But the thing that I do often is I make scrambled eggs. It's, I know it's hard. It takes a lot of planning. You know, it does. you got to go to the chicken house, grab the eggs. If you're lucky, they haven't been there more than two weeks, so they're not rotten yet, and you take them out and scramble them, and, and uh, it's a joke. But also, I make pretty good toast, and the way you make your toast is you toast it, then you take your you take your jelly and your butter, and you put it on the plate, and you mix it all up together. You don't put a slab of butter, then a slab of jelly. You mix it all up so it's all really mingled together. And I do that sometimes. I've done it for this past week, but there's one thing I've noticed. Once you break eggs and put them in the, pl- in the pan, you put a little olive oil or whatever on the inside, and you begin to mix them up. There is absolutely no way to unscramble them. Once they're scrambled, they're scrambled, right? Our life is kind of the same way. We can bring order to our life, but many times we scramble things so bad we can't bring the order back. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is that you don't quit. Even though eggs may have got scrambled, things may have got complicated, your life may be whatever right now, you don't quit in the midst of the scrambled eggs. Um, there's something about each and every one of us that we have certain things that motivate us and other things that don't so much. But let me get my glasses on, and, and I'm going to try to stay on uh, target here tonight. Um, there, I was reading a, a, a chapter in a book that Bill Wilson had wrote, and one of the things he said was, you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince. And uh, you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince. How many of y'all believe if you kiss enough toads, all of a sudden want to pop up into a, a, a prince? I don't think so. But the point is this: we try a lot of things in life till we find something that works. And as we go through this life, you're going to try a lot of things. You've seen other places, you heard other people do. But the thing is, you're unique in how you are, and God has something especially designed for you in your life. Always has and always will. And you may have kissed a lot of frogs. Now, I don't mean literally, but you may have done a lot of things to try to get to your spot, to get to your place, to find your purpose. And sometimes life can be frustrating because things don't always happen smoothly. But, friend, I know this, that once you get there, you stick with it and you don't quit. There's been a lot of failures and a lot of things overcome by people who keep trying, lots of tries and a lot of failures. Our mistakes and how we deal with them are what define us. And I'm going to say that again. Our mistakes and how we deal with them is what defines us. How many of you believe that? It's through your failures and your mistakes that define who you are as a man or a woman. If you're willing to own up to it, say, yeah, it is me. I'm the one that made the mistake. I'm the one that done this. I should have done it differently. And you have to learn. There's a president that was here in the United States back in the mid-1800s. Um, and I'm going to kind of go through the uh, history of his life and talk to you about failure after failure after failure after failure. And even, even when there seemed to be a glimpse of success, there was another failure. And his name was Abraham Lincoln. And I'm sure that everyone in here, regardless of your age, you've heard of Abraham Lincoln. In 1931, he failed in his first business attempt. 
1932, he was defeated in a, a position in legislature. He ran for a position in office, and he was defeated. In 1833, he failed again in another business adventure. In 1934, he was elected to a legislative seat and position, but during that next year, in 1935, he was dating a girl, and the girl whom he was seeing at that time, no, just we'll stick with the old red, and uh, at 1935, the girl he was dating became ill, and she died. So he lost his, his sweetheart, and the next year after he lost her, he was defeated again. Uh, in 1936, 1836, he suffered a nervous breakdown because of the frustrations of things in life and the unsettledness. In 1938, he was defeated as a speaker. In 1940, he was defeated as an elector. In 1943, he was defeated in a, in a position he ran for Congress. In 1942, he was 1840. You all know what I'm saying, y'all. Alright, y'all know he wasn't in 1942. You know, if I say 19, just throw in the 18. You know what I'm saying? Seriously? Alright. In 18, I've even got wrote down 1942. In 1842, come on. 1842, he married a woman that had a lot of issues. If you've studied anything about the life of Abraham Lincoln, he married a girl from Kentucky. Sorry, honey, you got me from Kentucky, and, and he lived in Illinois. But here's something really unique about Abraham Lincoln. He married a woman that was full of issues, full of emotional problems, full of all kinds of psychological issues, mood disorders. And, but the thing about it, he remained, he remained married to her. And one of the things that he's known for in a lot of realms is that his ability to stay committed in this relationship, even though it was extremely difficult, it was frustrating, it was hard on him. And they didn't have the technology and medications and things to, to kind of ward off a lot of these things that we do today. But he really went through a lot. But the thing that you're going to see in the life of Abraham Lincoln is that he never quit. Even after the death of, a, of one that he wanted to marry, who had competition with the one he eventually, eventually did marry, and all the numerous defeats that he had in, in political realms, his life was complicated. In 1946, he won. And he was elected in, in the seat of Congress. In 1948, he lost it. How many of y'all know those are every two years they vote? And he lost it after two years. In 19, in 18, come on, y'all. 1855, he was defeated in a, a seat for the Senate. In 1956, he ran as a vice president of the United States, and he lost again. In 1958, he ran for a Senate seat again, and, and he lost it. In 1858, he lost again. You want to come do this? In 1860, 1860, he became president of the United States of America. He had so many more defeats than he did have victories. <clears throat> and sometimes in life, because I know, I'll be honest with you, I know some people's lives have more defeats than others. Some people have more battles than others. Some people go through things that other people don't seem to go through. And if you be honest, you've seen it. You've watched it from the outside, and you wonder, why does that family go through so much? I remember thinking that in the past. Why does that family, why do, they, why do these same things keep reoccurring? Why does it happen to them? But I really believe that some people, and stay with me, I believe some of us have been so uniquely chosen by the one who made us that there has been an attack upon you in your life from the time you were a kid, that he tried to thwart, tried to prohibit anything that God could do in the future of your life. 
by messing you up or you getting discouraged or things happening that it wasn't fair. Because some of you have had lives. Some of your lives have been absolutely been a piece of cake. It's been easy. You know, your life, your home life was good. You always had things. You've always had good jobs. You've always had good health. And all these things seem to be great for you. But others, is not the same. And I believe that sometimes some of the things that we do are self-inflicted. But I believe a lot of it is that we are against a spiritual battle over every part of our life. I believe Abraham Lincoln was born for destiny. And it does not matter what he went through in getting to that place of destiny. I believe that God had his hand upon him, even through after defeat, after defeat. I'm going to be honest with you. If I went through that many defeats, I don't know what would happen in my life. And I've been through a lot of things. But everything that I publicly try to do, if it fell apart, I would begin to question, why am I pursuing this? I'm going to go to a gas station. Okay, they didn't have a gas station. I'm going to go to a butcher. I'm going to be a butcher back in those times. I'll go in the military, do something, because nothing that I touch seems to work. And sometimes that's exactly how it seems in life. Some of you think my marriage will never get better. It can't. Let me tell you, there's a secret behind every marriage. It takes three for a marriage to work. It just does. It isn't solely the man. It isn't solely the woman. It's both of them with them focusing on the one who can bring a corporateness in that relationship. Every failure that we have, there's always something to learn. But, but most importantly, just because you've had a life full of failures and you can't undo your defeats and, and you can't go undo your losses, one thing you can do is you can't keep moving. You can't keep trying. You don't quit. You know, you look in the history of our country, and, and I know that a lot of people, for whatever childish, immature, disrespectful, whatever mentality, they don't want to want sustain and put their hand over their heart when the flag is raised and the national anthem is sung and, and they think all these protesting things that they can do. And, and my mind goes back to World War One and World War Two and, and even the Korean conflict and then Vietnam and all the things that everybody's ever poured their heart. If you look at Vietnam, the, the most common uh, picture or the most common statue, and I, I'm sorry, but I forget this what it was but it was these three guys whenever now i guess it was war two whenever they the flag was knocked down they went and raised the flagpole and there's four guys raising the flagpole are you with me why because that flag represented something that they had sacrificed everything for and whenever we come to church and we look at the cross it's just not an easter thing it's just not the major thing in christmas everything about who we are is about the cross if we ever forget that and we begin to disrespect it, then we're going to lose everything that was ever important to us because we've quit. Regardless of our defeats and regardless of our losses, we keep going. Here's another Bill Wilson quote. When you stop in the middle of the freeway going the right direction and doing the right thing, when you stop, you know what happens? You get run over. And you know what happens? You get replaced. You don't ever quit. You don't ever stop, regardless of, of, the, of the traffic jams or the things that seem to go on. You never quit. And you may be here tonight and you've had some defeats and, and your cars broke down. You've been on the side of the road. I'm talking spiritually. And some things haven't went the way you thought they were going to because it started so great and it was wonderful. But all of a sudden you have a tire blowout or you have an oil leak on your truck or, or you have something happens that, that sets you on the side and you begin to get discouraged. And before long, you begin to say it was never meant to be, and that is one of the biggest lies you could ever embrace. Abraham Lincoln, the most, probably the most famous and the most instrumental man about changing the value system and the face of America, 
that guy, the decisions he made and the stand that he took when all the other politicians were opposing him and the things that he went through on the, on the morality issue of humanity completely changed this planet. It completely changed this country. The most important thing is we keep moving. So you think, well, Lord, what do you have in store for me? And I'm going to tell you this. Often we ask that, but if he told you, you couldn't handle it. Or you would want it instantly. I believe that many times the blessings and the direction of the Lord, you have to grow into them. You have to mature into them. He doesn't just reveal everything. I'll be honest with you. When he called Moses at the burning bush, if he would have showed him the knuckleheads he would deal with over the next 40 years, what would Moses have done? He would have said, send Aaron. Send somebody else. I don't want to deal with it. And he never would have been the man that he was and the meekness that he was. I want to look at Jesus. And I know I'm fixing my britches, and I did not like that. I'm sorry, man. If you, ha- if you don't have hips, you know, it just, it just happens. You know what the alternative is to f- not fixing your britches? Uh, so don't be making fun of me anymore. Don't show that video again either. Don't ever do that. The life of Jesus in a nutshell. You know, we hear very little about the life of Jesus from the time he was born, and his dad took him to Egypt to protect him from, from the... the uh, King Herod, we wanted to kill him, and he was 12 years old. 12 years old, we have an episode there where he didn't go with his family or the family group, and he stayed back. And we have a few little things, but we don't know a lot about his life until he was 30 years old. And it's like all of a sudden, at 30 years old, he began to walk into this place of leadership. And at 30 years old, he was anointed as a priest, and he was anointed by John the Baptist who baptized him. And it began to set things in order. You may wonder where I'm going. He was on a road that he couldn't afford to stop on. Even when things were very discouraging, even when things were not real exciting. Because I'm going to tell you, in this journey of life, it's not always about everything being perfect, and it's not always good. But there's one thing that has to happen. You don't quit, or you'll get run over. You don't quit. You don't ever quit. In the book of Matthew, and and Jesus' life was, in a nutshell, I'm going to go over this pretty quickly. I'm, I'm actually halfway done or more, and but Matthew in chapter 3, if you would go there, I want to read some, some things to you about his life. Matthew 3 and verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4. And I want to stop here for a minute. I want to go back to verse 17. When that voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me tell you this. You can be in some of the, the most severe hardships of life and the Lord's saying, I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. I'm still pleased with you. You're doing what you're supposed to do, even though it's hard and even though it's complicated. Because look what happens in chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted. What do we pray? Lord, and lead us not into, but deliver us from. What is it about this that Jesus and his humanity, not his spirit man, but his humanity, was taken into the wilderness to pray? And he was led by the Spirit. And after he had been there 40 days, we'll read the rest of it in a second. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. 
How many of you have ever been really hungry? How many of you hunger right now? Could you imagine going a week without eating? How many of you can imagine that? Yeah. How many of you would like to do that? How many of you would not would like not to do that? Yeah. We enjoy eating. But after 40 days, Jesus had, had been separated and led by the Spirit. He was exactly where he was supposed to be. And for 40 days, he began to seek God. He began to seek his Father's face. Verse 3, soon as he was hungry and soon as he was done praying and fasting, when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And he answered, and he answered and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it's written, He will give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, and any time lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Verse 7, And he said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him to an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and, and the glory of them. And he said unto him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. When the devil leaveth him, then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. There's something about his life, and from the very beginning, it wasn't an easy thing. From the very beginning, he was tested in all these physical, all these, all these, I guess you say, human ways with hunger, with pride, with power, with influence. We'll get to where we're going in just a second. That was a complicated way to get to know your enemy. Defeat was his objective. Jesus lived a life of being accused, set up, despised by many, plotted against. Men felt threatened by his teaching. Betrayal of his friends. Go to Mark, if you will, in chapter 14. Mark 14. Anyone in here, if you served the Lord, anybody in here served the Lord for three years? If you've been serving the Lord for three years, raise your hand. Three years. Okay, only three years. I mean, three years, this is the year. Three years ago to this week or last month or some month this month, this year, you've been serving the Lord three years. Anybody? I don't mean like 33 or 73 or 43. I mean three. Anybody? Let me ask you again. Has anybody here been serving the Lord for only three years? Okay, how about four years? Five years? All right, five years. Could you imagine just the beginning of what Jesus went through as the Son of God? Because what he went through is in his humanity, the things that he began to go through. But Jason, could you imagine, and maybe you can from the military perspective, but, but the Son of God should not have to be subjected to all the things that he was, but he was because of us. But in his first three and a half years of really going into ministry and coming out as, as the Messiah, in chapter 14, verse 10 says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went into the chief priest to betray him, betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they, <clears throat> and they promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Chapter 14, verse 27. And then and Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended <clears throat> because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I am risen, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. 
And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, you shall deny me thrice. And he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. And likewise they all said. We're beginning to see a, a paramount moment here when all the things that Jesus has just poured his life into was beginning to crumble. His deception, all the disciples abandoned him, and he was left all alone. And I want to stop here for a minute. Because I don't care how close you are to Jesus, and I don't care how faithful you are, there will be moments and times in your life when you feel all alone. And it's in those moments that you feel all alone that will determine who you really are in your walk with Christ. You will give up, you will throw in the tower, or will you embrace him like you never have before? We used to sing a song in baptismal service all the time, I have decided to follow Jesus. Don't none go with me. How many of y'all ever heard that? No none go with me, so I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And it's at that place that Jesus was. It didn't matter because he knew these things would come to pass. Lastly, go to chapter 15 of the book of Mark. Verse 22. And they bring him into the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave to him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, and he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, and every man should take in the hour. And it was the third hour that they crucified him. And the superscription of the accusation was written over, over his head. It was king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on his right hand and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled and said that he was numbered with the transgressors. And they, they passed by, railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, All thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. I want to stop here for just a minute. Because when you come to Christ and you have something that sets you back or you have a slip up or you have a mess up, there will be people instantly that look at you and begin to wag their head. I wonder how many people have fallen away from their walk with the Lord because of a mess up or a poor decision or a compromise. And they did it, not intentionally, just kind of happened. But it happened, and instead of repenting and embracing the cross again, they get discouraged because everybody's looking at them with what? Disgust. Or the family's pointing a finger saying, I knew you would never make it. You would never last. And so they believe a lie again. They go back to the way they used to be. Friend, embrace the cross. Get things in order. Go to chapter, same chapter, verse 36. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and he put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And when the centurion stood over against him and saw, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Now this is what I want to finish with. What happened? How could the life of Jesus end like this? How could somebody who brought so much promise and brought so much change and people had hoped that they never ever dreamed the Messiah had truly come and people's lives were changed, how could it end like this? How? It almost seems unfair. It almost seems like something got botched, something got messed up. And sometimes in life, that's how we look at it. When things don't go as we thought they would and as we planned they would, as we thought he would direct us, we begin to think that things got botched, and they never were. And friends, just like John the Baptist, he served his role. And whoever you are here tonight, don't begin to question God because things raise their head, or you begin to go through things, or things get trying at times. 
Stay moving. Stay in the road in the lane that progresses because if you stop, you'll get flattened. What happened? Why so many obstacles in the life of Christ? And here's the quote that I really want you to get. It's not always so important about what you accomplish in your life as it is what you have set in motion. It is not always so important what you've accomplished, but what have you and I set in motion? And when I think about Jesus, he didn't come here for the accomplishments and the pats on the back. He came to set something in motion that was like a train. I mean, even though you can't stop a train. He set a train in motion that things would forever be the dif- ever be different. And in your life and mine, we are no different. He did not send us here to be worried all about success. And oftentimes, that's what we get hung up in. And there's nothing wrong with success. But he sent us here, and your life is to set something in motion. I remember reading about a, a, a pastor. I don't know if it was over in England or where it was. And he, he pastored a small church, and nothing was really going on there. But there was a little boy that was abandoned, and he took this little boy in, and, and he began to mentor this little boy. And I don't remember his name, but he was a future world changer. And, and the church went to the pastor and said, you know, you're getting old. You need to step down. You're no longer relevant. But he continued to mentor the little boy until he left. And after he left, for 20 years, he didn't hear the little boy. But after 20 years, this boy's name began to be prominent. And he began to change all of Europe. But this preaching, his administration, he began to teach in universities. And many, many, many great world changers came out of this man's ministry. But what was set in motion was the pastor of the little church. Friend, you are to be setting some things in motion. Regardless of if it's seen by everybody else, doesn't matter. And I know as we get older, we often think, you know, is this it? You know, it seems like there's so much more. Or I don't want to go. Or, friend, set some things in motion. I'm going to close with one different passage. Jesus' ministry was for three and a half years. And it was over. But what he set in motion is life-changing. Misty, I'm going to ask you all to find something back there to play. I'm not going to ask the worship team to come back because what we're going to do tonight is we're going to soul search. We're going to look at ourselves. We're not going to look at anybody else. We're not going to be concerned about anything else going on in anybody else's life, but we're going to look at us. And I want you to think, Lord, what am I setting in motion? Because here's the thing. You're setting things in motion regardless of what you do. Whether it be good or bad, things have been set in motion. But I believe that God has called us to set the right things in motion. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Now I want to stop here because I really want you to catch this. I've never in my life seen it like this before. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Just let that play. We'll just keep letting it play the whole time we're in prayer. He said, you've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Here's the key. He didn't say how much he had earned. He didn't say what kind of return he did on the five talents, but he said, you've been faithful. Friend, that's all he asked. He asked us to be faithful with the right motives and the right purpose. So I'm going to ask you tonight, what are you setting in motion not that people would give you attaboys and comment on you on Facebook and send you cards about how wonderful you are. That's not the point. 
The reason we set things in motion is because we want 10 years down the road something to be happening because what God used us in. Some of you taught Sunday school class 25 years ago. And because of your teaching, there's people in this church today, married, serving the Lord. Don't miss, don't miss your purpose. What are you setting in motion? We're going to come up and pray. I'm going to ask you, to, everyone, if you will, participate. And just ask the Lord, what do, you, what do I need to set in motion? What is it that I need to do? Not, not for praise, not for people to see me, but what do I need to do? Because it's not.